Hi, everyone. It's Chandra Sledge Matthias, and I'm back for Wouldn't It Be Cool If, the podcast celebrating cool people who are doing cool things. And I have a guest today. I don't know if she would define herself as cool. So. Never in my life have I been called a cool person until this moment. This is her inaugural coming out of coolness. And um, she is Katie Meyer, who is an educator. We work together in another in another part of life. And I was looking at your bio like, oh wait, I need to like know some things about her and introduce her. Any surprises? I, I know, I was like, oh wait, let me read this for real. But um, an educator, but you are jumping into this new life as an author. So I invited you on because I've heard bits and pieces about your journey and also um, what I really wanted to talk about instead of your amazing book that's coming out is how you feel about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. So we'll dive- My favorite topic. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so excited. So we'll dive into that at some point too. But welcome, Katie. Thank you. You are coming to us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This mm -hmm. is our first Wisconsin guest. So you're also breaking barriers in that way. <laughs> so you are a cool person. We still haven't gotten Chandra up to Wisconsin yet, though. No, so I've been to Wisconsin, just not Milwaukee. Oh yeah, just not Milwaukee. Yeah. You're right. I need to come because... Um, so I am like a big true crime person. This yeah. is probably like a trait of mine that might weird people out, but like, I love reading about serial killers or like watching documentaries. You're not alone. One of my favorite movies is Silence of the Lambs. Like I'm like Hannibal Lecter is one of my all time favorite characters. I've seen like Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, the Red Dragon, the, what was the other, Hannibal Rising, the the horrible movie mm -hmm. that came out about him, all of that. And then, this is going to have to be edited. <laughs> this will have to be edited out. I'm a children's I'm leaving this. authors. I'm leaving this part in. <laughs> right. Hannibal Lecter, great segue into your children's book. But yeah, like, so recently... Okay, Hannibal Lecter is fictional, but recently I saw the Jeffrey Dahmer, mm -hmm. well, not documentary, whatever it's called, I guess like- The docu-series, Docu-series, right? I guess. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was in Milwaukee. So I was kind of like, oh, that's- So weird. if you're wondering how cool I am, know that Chandra will come to Milwaukee, not for me, <laughs> but for Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> now I gotta go. That's sad. It's sad. That's not a good quality to have. It's not a traitor here out loud. You share it with many people. I mean, it was a very popular series. Yeah. It's just fascinating. Like I, I get fascinated by like, I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know like what happened to you to make you do these cruel things. It's the human psychology yeah. of it, right? Yeah. I also read that there is just recently there's an evolutionary evolutionary reason for our interest like human interest in serial killers and mm -hmm. it's because we it's like our way of learning about our predators. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah. Maybe that's why. Yeah. I was like, when I was watching the docuseries and they had like one episode when he was a kid, I was like pausing, like, okay, right here, this is a red flag. If someone had intervened, would he maybe have followed Mm -hmm. a different path? So that's me when I watch, I do feel bad for the victims. So I'm not making light of that part, but yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird trait to have. So anyway, children's books. Yeah. Let's, let's not transition. Jump, let's not jump from serial killers to children's books. Also, you're if you have like an agent or something, they're probably like, don't, don't do don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do her show anymore. But um go back to your journey you know, the mm-hmm. beginning, because I know you started in education and now you're still in education in a different way than you started, but doing this new thing. So like kind of walk through what that process looked like. Like, how did you go from, I'm teacher, now I'm teacher coaching, now I'm consulting, now I'm doing all these things to, oh, I want to write this book. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think you're right. And what I've learned is that each author's journey is different, right? So I was trying to figure out where to start. And actually there's this whole part of my life that I don't even think you know about before educator. Um, And I I didn't dream of becoming a teacher or a writer and I didn't go to college to be a teacher. I don't know. I I know. See, I can still surprise you. Um, um, So I actually started fresh out of college with a, as a mental health counselor for adjudicated juveniles um, in Chicago, Illinois, where you're at. Um, So I was fresh out of college. I had a degree in psychology and criminal justice. And I started by leading small groups um, for like counseling groups for anger management, independent life skills, um, social skills, that kind of stuff, as well as providing one-on-one support for impulse control, de-escalation strategies, like calm down strategies, among others. Um, And through that work, I also started to experience um, the alternative education system, like the classrooms that um, these boys were in because they were in a residential setting. So no longer in like general society. Um, And at the same time that I was doing that, I was volunteering for a nonprofit in schools called Us Empowered at the time. And now it's known as One Goal. Um, to lead lessons and provide one-on-one mentoring for high school students going through the college application process um, and preparing for college admittance Mm -hmm. um, and the first couple years of what college life would be like. Um, And I share all this not just to surprise you, although that's a nice bonus, but because um, I think it gets to my why, um, because I was working these two jobs side by side Um, and it's not an apples to apples comparison, um, in terms of situation, but the comparison of resources and educational experience and opportunities and overall support that the two groups of, of students, of children, of teenagers were getting was really striking. Um, and I started to be called at that time to work in education where I was hopeful that I could do work that could impact both individuals and also some like systems, systems level change. Um, And then around this time is when my now husband and I were making a move to Washington DC. So it was also a good time to kind of experiment 
mm-hmm. um, my own kind of profession. And I, so I started looking for jobs in schools, um, but I didn't have a formal education in teaching. Um, so I started substituting. Um, I worked as a before and after school teacher. Um, I was working at an amazing charter school um, in DC and um, worked up to managing their year round program. And um, they ended up having a residency program where I could become certified and get my master's in education for um, literacy curriculum and instruction. And I was, as an after-school teacher and substitute teacher, I was like meeting all these teachers and I was just, they were my heroes. Like the work that they were doing in their classrooms every day, I was so in awe of them. So I decided to do the residency program Um, went to American University and um, worked as a special education teacher, a um, elementary teacher, reading specialist, um, and then started to think about how I can, how I could support other teachers and became um, a literacy coach, um, a response to intervention or RTI coordinator to support students um, of all needs across the school um, and in school leadership before ultimately where I'm at now, which is an educational consultant um, that supports um, school leaders of all types across many schools um, to make sure that all students get an equitable educational experience and you know a rich educational experience, as well as teachers getting the development and support that they need and deserve to give students that experience. So, all, all that to be said, the common thread through all of those experiences for me was literacy and access to rich, meaningful educational opportunities. Um, and I personally have been both fortunate and privileged to have those opportunities, educational opportunities, both in a formal setting as well as informally. Um, I've always been a bookworm and a book lover. Um, and my favorite part about teaching and working in schools and still is, is sharing the joy of reading um, and stories and love of books to children, whether it's students or um, kids in my own life. I'm, I'm definitely the auntie that gifts books. Yeah. Whether I kids- that auntie as well. <laughs> they, they're not, most of the kids in my life aren't old enough yet to truly like love or appreciate that, but they will. It's coming. Yeah. My nephews are all bookworms. So that's good. Like they, I don't know, maybe because they're, they're growing up around other bookworms, but they're, they always have their nose in a book. Well, and it's truly like sharing our love of stories Mm -hmm. like that. That's in the, it's like the um, environment that we surround kids with, right? They see our reading life um, and want to be cool like us. Yeah. And want to read what too. what were you reading when you were a kid? Oh wow, that's a great story. I feel like I remember um there were phases. One was I have a I have a younger brother. He's six years younger than me. So I did a lot of reading to him. Mm-hmm. Um so there was like Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day was a favorite. Um, Blueberries for Sale. Um, and then I started growing into like my own independent in my head reading. And my stepmom was very good at giving me books that um, had female protagonists mm-hmm. um, and books. We, I read a lot of fantasy, um, still do. Um, so I read like Redwall and um, 
can't remember any of the other titles off the top of my head, as well as like a Nancy Drew, yes. those type of. <laughs> I was I was a big Nancy Drew person. Love. I still Drew. have a Nancy Drew book from my hometown library. Well, no, this particular library closed now. It's not open anymore, but. I never turned the book in and I had a fear for a long time that they would arrest me like and I owed like millions of dollars in late book fees so I used to have dreams that like like a SWAT team would knock on my door or something for that Nancy Drew book and I mean we're we're rule followers yeah. Um, and to be clear to our listeners, we are very pro public library yes. and returning your books responsibly so other people can enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still have it. I'm not ashamed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think whether it's a result of my own love of books um, or my teaching background, I'm realizing about myself that I see the world around me through the lens of a story. Um, I know how stories go. I see characters around me. I empathize with how others might feel because of the world and characters I've traveled in my, you know, reading. Um, so I, that maybe that's why uh, when I moved to a new city, when I moved from DC to Milwaukee a couple years ago, and I saw this lone wind turbine um, on the shore of a great lake, which I was really excited to move to uh, a state with the great lake. And he was standing proud all by himself, even though most wind turbines are in like a large wind farm. So it was very unusual mm -hmm. to see this lone um, by himself wind turbine. And he was smaller than any wind turbine I've ever seen. It's like half the size of a normal oh, wind turbine. Um, he really stood out to me against the city skyline. And um, that's how Gust was born. So the story of Gust is based on reality. Gust is an actual wind turbine. It creates a lot of power um, for the port and the city of Milwaukee. So if and when you and or your listeners visit Milwaukee, you can I'm actually coming. I'm coming. <laughs> you can actually look up and see the real Gus um, right on the shore of Lake Michigan on the south side of the home bridge. Um, yeah, so he, he okay, it's a fictional so character, but it's based on a real life. Yeah, this so one thing I've already learned from Gust is the difference between a windmill and a wind turbine. So yeah. talk about that because I was calling him a windmill for the longest. And I think on your Instagram, I think you broke down the difference. And I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, a, a lot of people do, um, whether adult or children, confuse the two. Um, so a wind turbine. Well, let's, let's start by saying how they're the same. Both mm -hmm. wind turbines and windmills use wind energy. Mm -hmm. The uh, alternative form of, of green energy. Um, if it then uses the wind energy to make mechanical en energy to use directly. So that means that you're going to use it right away on site to mill grains or pump water or something like that. It's a windmill. And those okay. usually have like, sort of the um, rectangular wooden mm -hmm. platted blades. is like, like that old school image I have in my head of the wind, yeah. Yes, or wind. like very yeah. like Dutch Netherlands-esque mm -hmm. yeah. look. Um, wind turbines, to my understanding, are a little bit more modern 
and um, they use the wind energy to convert it to electricity. Okay. So that electricity can then be used not only on site, but it can be actually stored to a power grid and distributed or shared to be used, you know, nearby or anywhere else. Um, and typically their blades are thinner, sort of like a, I'm probably going to get in trouble with people who build wind turbines because I don't know if this is true, but more of like a metal. Yeah, they look like these <laughs> metal giants almost like one of my favorite things about living in the midwest well I guess like driving through the midwest is because I don't see them east so mm -hmm. driving here especially like coming through Indiana closer to Chicago it's they're like fields and feel like thousands of them and it's like yeah. what is happening what is going on what are these things yeah in general they require a lot of space Mm -hmm. um and height obviously which is also why this particular wind turbine that I've named Gust um in Milwaukee is so striking because he's so close to the city and so much smaller um but you do see I feel like a lot more of the midwest and west because of the space especially if you're having a whole wind farm um but you can also find them um in the ocean so like on the east coast many of them are actually um in the ocean so Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Now you know. Now I know. <laughs> so, okay. You're like sitting outside and then you just see this little guy and then this whole story just came to life in your head or like, are you having a conversation with him? Okay. Do you talk to inanimate objects? Because I do this. I do this. Like, this is another weird fact. I talk to my things. Like I yeah. talk to, well, plants are living beings but like I talk to my shoes I talk to like if I've moved from place to place like I talk to the place when I come in when I leave I have a goodbye conversation <laughs> and like it's a whole thing I talk to my coffee mugs my car I really thought that. that this whole um podcast was about making me look cooler <laughs> Um, so outing me as someone who talks to inanimate objects is not really <laughs> fair, but, <laughs> yes, um, I blame it on COVID, not a personality <laughs> trait, but absolutely, um, so COVID hit almost as soon as we moved to our new home, and there wasn't a lot I could do to, um, explore my new city or meet new people, um, and so we took our Black Lab, Louie, on, like daily walks up to this overlook um overlooking Lake Michigan and that's where I met Gust um your listeners can't hear my quotation marks but that's where we met um and so I think COVID isolation can maybe explain why I named a wind turbine and started having conversations <laughs> with him um daily um but yeah I did I I just um was wondering what he might be seeing up there, um, being on the shore of a Great Lake, overlooking a, a major city. Um, some people might argue about Milwaukee being a major city, but I'm gonna I'm gonna claim it, put my stake in the ground there. Um, yeah. And a port. So I learned that he stood on Port Milwaukee grounds, and I didn't really know honestly what a. I mean, I knew in general like what the definition of a port was, but I didn't know a lot about ports. Um, and at the same time, I randomly ran into a friend of mine from DC 
who just moved to the area around the same time. We'd been out of touch for years and was actually the port director at Port Milwaukee. I had no idea. We reconnected um, and he graciously answered my many questions about the port and their little wind turbine. Um, And I was just amazed at how much the wind turbine did for the port and the city um, and all the things that happen at a port. So that was sort of how that happened. I think it's really special that it's because I'm in another life. um, (laughs) I've been having conversations about like place-based education. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think about like just your book, just, you know, this place-based book is like very specific to this region and this Mm -hmm. city. And I think it's like really powerful. It's like a special connection to like people who might live there Mm -hmm. can see like a familiar face in Gus, but also like learn something about it. Cause like mm-hmm. you can live in a city and not know, you know, the history or know how the day-to-day life happened. Like we don't stop to think about things like that. Like what's making all of this tick. So I think that's really powerful. You know, I hope that locals will find some Easter eggs and, and learn a little yeah. bit about their community, but it also is about ports generally. And ports can be found in so many different places around the country and around the world. So learning about how ports work. Um, and it's also about climate and green energy and mm-hmm. um, climate conversations are more common than ever and more urgent than ever. So I thought that Gus could be a child-friendly introduction to one form of green energy um, and an entry point for parents to talk to or teachers or whoever it may be to talk to kids about wind energy too. So there's definitely a local appeal, um, but I also hope that there's some larger application both to other cities and ports um, that, or like you said, if you're driving through a wind farm and you recognize a wind turbine um, and also more broadly, Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself through this process of writing the book and all of the like kind of talk about like what was that process because I know you know I've had people say to me like oh you should write a book and I'm like oh yeah let me just tick that off the book like how, <laughs> do you, how do you know where to even start and like what you know how to go through that process and what are the things that you need to do? And what did you learn about yourself through that process? Um, wow, that's a lot. Okay, so um, <laughs> I think one of the surprising things to me was um, that one of the easiest parts was the idea. Um, I like to say that Gus found me and made me an author. As I mentioned earlier, I didn't have dreams of becoming a writer. Um, once I had the idea, it really felt right. Like it feels Mm -hmm. like I was meant to do it, but it wasn't something I've thought of my whole life. Um, Finding the confidence and motivation to write his story was more challenging. And then actually writing and publishing it was even harder. Um, So I I just started with notes on my phone. Um, I know as a reading specialist and as a literacy coach, um, I know what makes successful children's books. Um, there's patterns and repetition and rhythm or rhyme, um, illustrations that support text and of course a moral or a lesson, um, maybe some subtle humor for adults that are forced to read the book <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, so I started down like just jotting down some ideas, um, but I reread and rewrote like the first 
50, 500 drafts. Um, and then realized that even with that sort of literary knowledge, I was missing um, some crucial components in the book. Um, specifically, I didn't have a problem or solution and there wasn't a moral of the story. Um, thinking about why does any of this matter? So I had this character and I had this like simple sort of pattern, but it just felt very simple. Um, why did any of this matter to Gust? How is he feeling? What was he experiencing? Um, where was there any conflict internal or externally? And why does this story matter? Why should anyone read this story, right? Um, it's then that I realized that Gus's story wasn't just about the vehicles that come in and out of a port, which is cool, um, but also about Gus wanting a job to do to help the port run um, on a surface level. And then to extrapolate that, how everyone in a community brings their own unique set of skills and strengths um, to support their larger, broader community, even if they can't do what everyone else does. Um, and then one layer back, if we're peeling the onion, um, is globally as an example of how um, wind energy and, and one smaller than normal wind turbine can make a big impact um, and help, help a local community thrive. Um, so that was sort of the writing process. I just went over and over and over again. And that happened mostly alone. Um, it was very personal, very internal process that was largely individual. And I thought that would be the hard part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, spoiler alert, it wasn't. Um, fortunately um, for me, or maybe I, I think fortunately, the writing in a children's book doesn't matter as much as the illustrations. Um, so then the most important part, I had a very close friend, confidant, also a literacy coach. Um, so she really knows what she's talking about. Remind me um, that the illustrations are more important than anything I could possibly write. So that was humbling and also a really important- Where are the pictures? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are the pictures? Like nobody's gonna read what you wrote just make it look pretty. Um, <laughs> it was very motivating. It was a, a pivot point and a realization that I needed to find a really good illustrator. Um, I knew I wanted to partner with someone locally, a local illustrator. Milwaukee's home to, um, we call it MIAD, the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design, um, literally across the river from Gust. And there's so much talent in this area. So I started my search there and contacted um, several different illustrators. I shared my manuscript with them and asked them to send me a character sketch of how they envisioned this character that I had written. Um, I don't know what I expected, um, but what struck me was both the quality of these illustrations and the complete range of different versions of Gus that I got. Um, there were so many different styles from more comic book or like graphic novel style to caricatures or cartoon to more realistic. Um, so then there was another learning opportunity for me to teach myself about these different styles and how it might impact the story and also the reader based on those illustration styles. Um, but it, that was a really helpful process for me to see the different gusts and compare them side by side and how I experienced them and what I wanted for my story. Um, ultimately, I went with like a more classic, whimsical, um, watercolor, colorful style with my illustrator, Bridget Malloy. Um, she was the best and most important choice I made during this process. <laughs> um, so that was a big 
part. And then it was actually Bridget that introduced me to my publisher, um, Orange Hat Publishing. And at first I wasn't sure. And I kind of assumed that I would self-publish instead of working with a publisher. Um, I really didn't know anything. Again, that's like the tagline of me being an author is I really didn't know anything. Um, so um, Bridget had worked with this local indie publishing team. Um, they're in a suburb of Milwaukee called Waukesha. And she recommended that I reach out to them. And um, I'm a collaborative person. I knew that there was a lot I didn't know. So the idea of working with a publisher was really appealing, but I also don't think I would have gone with any publisher. Um, Orange Hat is an indie publisher, a small team, family owned, um, Wisconsin-based, community-oriented and very author-centric. Mm -hmm. So they, they were like a really good partner for me. Um, and they wanna partner with authors that are um, creating books that are not just captivating and entertaining, but also that um, educate and challenge the status quo, which was a really perfect fit for yeah. us. So I signed on with them. Yay. <laughs> Were there any aha moments for you? Like things you, was your big takeaway, like, I don't know anything about this? Or was it like, oh, I learned that I need blah, blah, blah. Oh, I learned so much. There was so much that I didn't know. So I learned that. Um, and um, there was a lot that I learned. So let's see a couple of things. I think first is I didn't realize how much patience it would take. In general, I consider myself to be a patient person. Um, I think maybe what I've learned is that I am more patient with others than I am with myself. Mm. Um, so having self-patience was really important. Um, I mean, to give you an idea of how long this process was, I first got the idea, which is a generous way of saying I started talking to inanimate objects in, I think, um, 2019 or 2020. Um, I started loosely writing in 2021, um, submitted my manuscript to Orange Hat Publishers um, in 2022, and it will be on shelves next month, so 2023. Yay. So that's a, that's a three to four year process from start to finish. Yeah. Um, and what I'm now learning, because I'm still learning, is um, that it's just the beginning. After the book release, there's so much more to do for marketing and promotion and selling the book and getting it in bookstores and libraries, events in the community, that kind of stuff. So there's still a lot more ahead. Um, I think that was a big learning. Um, another learning that I had was, or a realization, um, is about my own perfectionism. There's no space for perfectionism in writing or really anywhere. Um, there's no perfect in writing. I could revise this book for the rest of my life. At some point, my publisher had to tell me to stop and mm -hmm. that, you know, um, and just I had to find it good enough, even if it wasn't perfect. Yeah. Um, and everyone's going to experience it differently, too. So some people might have liked a previous iteration some people might've preferred that I change something from where it is now, but it's important to me, it was more important to share the story than for the story to be or look perfect. Yeah, perfectionism. I wanna just throw that in the trash. Like I'm, it's I'm never, working on it. it's not healthy. It's just. And I would never and never did. Know. Yeah, I would never and never did teach that to my student writers. Mm -hmm. So 
holding myself to that also just felt misaligned with my own values. And it was like, why, why am I doing that? Um, so as part of that too, um, I had to learn to ask for help. Um, I mentioned, I thought writing would be the hardest part. Um, and I was wrong. Writing is like the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's so much more to publishing a book that goes on, um, than writing the manuscript. And at first, and sometimes still, um, I get overwhelmed. And so I realized it was okay to ask for help and to activate my friends and families and networks strengths and talents to help with everything from creative design to font choice um, and page layout and all these different things. Um, Yeah, after all, that is ultimately the lesson of my book that we can all work together to get things done. So asking for help was a really uh, important part of my process and advice I would give too. So hard to do. We tell, like we can tell other people to do it, but when it's us, it's like. Much harder to to do yeah. than to say, <laughs> gotta, for sure. Yeah, definitely got to tap into the vulnerability and the, the humbleness and just like, oh, okay, yeah. And it's experiencing that messy middle, right? Like mm-hmm. sharing it before you're ready, before it's ready. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been big- living in that, that space a lot. Yeah. What do you do? Cause I know you're a busy, busy person in general, but then now you're adding this other layer of all of these like events you have coming up and the book release and all the things, what are you doing just to have some self-care, some relaxation, you know, what's, how are you having your woo-saw moments? Yeah. Well, um, this is probably the opposite of cool and maybe too on the nose, but truly my favorite hobby is reading. Um, I knew I read- you were going to say that. I know. I knew you were gonna- it's not a promotional push. It is like, it's embarrassing how much, like I'm learning it's a lot more than normal and it's like embarrassing how much I read. What, what are you reading? Um, I'm reading a store, a series right now. It's a fantasy series. The first book was, um, I don't have a Kindle that I use a Kindle and it doesn't show me the, the cover, the title page. Um, so I don't see the title all the time. So I always forget, (laughs) I forget what I'm reading. You're reading, Um, you forget, you don't know the titles? Because I read it on a Kindle. So it just opens up to the page. So I only like see the title once. I've never read anything electronically like that. I can't do it. I have to have the physical book. I do both. So I do physical hardcover, you know, or uh, physical copies of the book as well as digital, but I like getting the Kindle copies from my library. Mm. Um, So I use, anyway, I just read a lot. um, And I really love reading fantastical stories still to this day. I read them as a child too. Um, whether they're tales of magic or dystopian future or sci-fi, anything that takes me out of the world as I know it, um, is I think my, my favorite type of reading, but I also other guilty pleasures, um, let's see, coffee, wine, cheese, bread. Those are all, you didn't ask about food though. Um, (laughs) any guilty pleasure, like anything you're doing to like take yourself out of the busy moments and like reset, relax? Well, I think I can't say that I actively enjoy it, but I'm really mindful about and always feel better when I 
just move my body. So whether that's a walk around the neighborhood, um, running or biking by the lake, or I take um, spin bar or strength classes, like all of that stuff really helps to take my brain out of the whirlwind, the cyclone of thoughts and work and to-do list and um, recenter, get back to me. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, my guiltiest pleasure is probably following the British royal family. <laughs> yes, great segue. Because something we share. My, my guilty pleasures. <laughs> and I know we both were listening to um, Meghan Markle's podcast, um, mm-hmm. Archetypes, which yep. is really good. But mm-hmm. And I'm listening to the audiobook of A Spare, read by Prince Harry. I highly recommend listening to it. I'm not usually an audiobook listener, but hearing it in his voice with the accent. The yeah, thing. that's, I'm not a big audiobook person, but I still, I have to have the physical copy. So mm-hmm. I'm actually, and I haven't ordered it yet, but I'm considering like getting the physical copy and the audiobook and reading along with our dear Prince Harry. <laughs> I wish I had done that. So oh. I recommend definitely do that. That's the right, yeah. right approach. So what are you I thinking can't, right now? I just can't explain my fascination with this. And I know you um, agree with me. I think it's like all guilty pleasures I've enjoyed previously, like The Bachelor and Bachelorette or Emily in Paris. It's like a very social um, and like it's a way to stay connected with other people who like the same things like you, Downton Abbey. I, I can't get into like the dating shows and things like that, but like the royal family for me, I think it's because I'm also a history buff. Yes. So I like the history at the historical aspects mm-hmm. of it. I'm like, for some reason, I'm obsessed with like, you know, the royal history of England, like the Tudors. I'm really big on. Give me all of the Tudor dynasty, like Henry VIII, the whole thing. Yep. But they're just so messy. And I I think think it's kind of like reality show mixed with (laughs) history. It's like, these people are a hot mess. That is a good way to put it. Like, I don't do Real Housewives or Kardashians or, but I... I do the royal family. Right. It's like they're right up there with the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. I think, though, you have a good point about the history. And I think it's also um, the same idea that it takes me into another world into which I don't personally belong. So it's a way to experience. It's another story. It like is. It's just yeah. another story. Um, yeah. And it represents the monarchy represents so much that I disagree with the yeah. classism, the hierarchical hierarchical genetic based roles that are just handed to you it's undemocratic the um tax using taxpayer money all of it is like so against anything that I (laughs) for generally the the whole colonialism thing the whole it's problematic at best building your wealth off of nations that is like you've literally just robbed for centuries and then continue and then, to yeah, that whole thing to is rule problematic. over, but act like you're not. It's right. it's all so problematic, and I think maybe that's part of why I like Harry and Meghan so much. Um, they're they're just starting. It's so it's it's messy, but it's also real. Um, they're starting to challenge, although maybe not as much as I would like. At some at some places, 
but modernize the institution, challenge the status quo, speak up against some parts of it. And I just imagine the learning and unlearning that had to take place, yeah. um, specifically for Harry growing up in that, like just entrenched in that mindset um, and that family and the courage to stand up to that. Um, there, Yeah, there are cringeworthy reality show moments, but they are real. And I really think, I truly believe that everyone should be able to tell their own story. So I am grateful um, that they've had that opportunity and, you know, maybe they can just live out their lives now. Yeah, there is, there is cringe moment is highly appropriate because like even watching the Netflix special, there were like cringy moment like even on Megan's side I was like yeah maybe not say that maybe like (laughs) it was kind of like my Jeffrey Dahmer moment Megan (laughs) maybe not say that out loud maybe keep but also that's real like but it is none of these none of these people that we put on pedestals are perfect right it goes back to the idea of perfectionism like we expect them to be these perfect they're not they're human too they're not Um, they're besties and they need to do better and be better because of the the power and authority and um you know the voice that they that they have and the um platform that they've been given but they are also human yeah yeah so I gotta I gotta read the book but I'm rooting for them I I'm team Harry and Megan. Yeah. So um, one more thing, speaking of Megan and archetypes, you, I think I'm correct in you define yourself as a feminist. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that because I also mm-hmm. know like, um, like even feminism, like this, it's this broad umbrella and there's like, Within all systems, there's some messiness, mm-hmm. there's some inequities, but like, yep. how do you kind of find your battlefield mm-hmm. within feminism? Yes, um, I, I would say I'm a feminist and I would not say I'm only a feminist. Um, I think equity and justice, and I don't think, I know that equity and justice are big values of mine, whether it be advocating um, around race, sexuality, religion, socioeconomic status, ability, disability, or any other identity markers. Um, so I do consider myself a feminist, but also anti-racist, straight ally. Um, you know, I think feminism was, for lack of a better word, an easy, maybe lazy starting place for me because I have experienced it, right? I've con- I, and continued to experience misogyny, sexism personally. So it's sort of a selfish, like it impacted me. So that was a, a entry point. Being an ally in general for other marginalized groups outside of myself and the intersectionality of all those systems, like you were saying, and all those different identities, whether it's one that I hold or don't, um, is important to me. Um, And as a white cisgender woman, um, I know that I've experienced a lot of privilege and uh, benefit from the majority of societal structures. So now it's about how I want to show up in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very much learning, um, and making mistakes and unlearning, um, but I'm learning by reading and listening, um, both like in interpersonally with peers and also on podcasts and that kind of stuff. 
um, from people in different experiences and identities than mine and also unlearning. So identifying and reframing my own in, internalized biases and prejudice, um, retraining my own characteristics that I have personally of being in a white dominant society, like my perfectionism that we talked about earlier, um, my Midwestern niceness, right? Of not speaking up and being conflict avoidant, um, as well as managing my own emotions. Um, in those spaces where conflict is actually productive. So I'm far from perfect, far, far from perfect. Um, and I have a lot to both understand, recognize and relearn on those battlefields um, that you were talking about, but I am trying to listen more than I talk. I think that's the first thing. Um, and then when I do speak, use my words and my voice to either amplify or reinforce and support or intentionally create space for other perspectives and other voices. Um, use what privilege that I do have to advocate and teach what I'm learning mm -hmm. um, or unlearning, especially in majority white dominated um, or heterosexual or cisgender or whatever majority group um, I'm in, those spaces that I'm often in, um, even and especially when it's more difficult and sometimes polarizing and um, in at times relationship damaging or like, I've, you know, even if, it, if I lose relationships. Um, and then I think voting, acting, whether it's marching, rallying, donating, writing postcards, signing petitions, whatever it might be. Um, and lastly, I think um, empowering and educating our children. That's why I'm a teacher. It's why I'm writing children's books. Um, so I think this goes full circle and shows up in why I teach and why I wanted to write a book about climate justice um, in a way that can be an entry point for parents to start a conversation about our environment. Because I think all the most important and difficult things in our culture, race, sexuality, bodily consent, activism, community, whatever, all those things, it's most effective to have a conversation um, and to talk about it with kids early. Um, and I think the books are a great way to start those conversations, whatever it may be about, so. Yeah. We have been joined by co-host Kravitz, um, <laughs> who is getting feisty right now. But yeah, I think starting young is really powerful. Like starting with youth and trying to influence the way they experience the world and the way they mm -hmm. cope with all of the systems and the isms yep. um, and understand and, you know, know how to navigate those systems is really a powerful strategy because as adults, oh my gosh, like <laughs> to say it's hard, it's, yeah. it's like such an understatement, like just trying to break through mindsets and shift mm -hmm. understandings and get grown people to be reflective mm -hmm. and to change behavior yeah all of the things so <laughs> I mean I feel like the battlefield of like let's do it through educating young people like let's catch them while they're young and let's you know yep. let's do it through literacy that's huge and it's a both and right like yeah. There is an urgency and an immediacy 
um, where we do need to, and I, and I have to believe, I have to have hope as a coach and developer at heart that mindsets can be changed, but mm-hmm. it is a long, tedious process. It is, it is. Um, and it often falls on the people that are being discriminated against, right? Which is, yeah. also, it's also an unfair, a bias process. Um, so yes, it's a both and, but I really believe that our children will be better than we are. And I believe that they can learn differently than we do. So while we have to unlearn, um, they're still learning. They're still in the process of, of growing and learning. And we don't have to teach that to them. Yeah. We can teach them a different way and a better way. Um, and we can learn from them. Like absolutely. I look at children sometimes and they have not been jaded by the world and yep. the ideas that they have and the way that they're understanding the world. I'm like, where do we lose that? Like where, what, what is the point where we're like, you know, we lose that innocence and we lose that faith in mm-hmm. other humans who mm-hmm. maybe identify differently than we do. Like, because it is learned. It is very much. And it's learned, and it's learned through everything, through these yeah. like tiny little moments in time, through media and what they see on TV and read in books. And that's another reason why I love reading so much because I can read stories about people who have different identities or di- different identity markers than I have, right? Mm-hmm. Whether an LGBTQ plus relationship or a culture different from my own or differing abilities in sight or hearing or speech or physical body, whatever it is, something that takes us outside of our own experiences and perspectives. So reading is one really good way Uh to do that or books are a good vehicle for that. Um, But it's all the things, right? It's it's seeing representation on TV. It's um, having experiences with people different from you um, out in your community or in your school, your places of faith or whatever it may be. Yeah. All the things. Well, I will say thank you for fighting the battle on your battlefields. We all have our battlefields we have to identify. And um, yeah, it's the work continues. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to shift gears um, since Kravitz is here. That what he, does Kravitz want to know? He reminded me like, okay, we got to <laughs> do our cool point segment. So oh, I'm so like, scared. Completely. <laughs> completely left field but these are five questions that will give our listeners a little bit more information about you they are random questions that may or may not make sense and have any connection to anything when Chandra says they're random she hand curated these these are not that bad without me listeners you get to decide if I am cool or not (laughs) (laughs) these are not that bad just so you know everyone who's done this has always gotten the cool points okay there's never been a guest that's I'm like "Mm, never mind you're not cool so I'll be a real trailblazer if I don't (laughs) please do not be the first guest to not get the cool points so the first question is let's see where do I want to go if we are on a road trip together and you mm-hmm. take over the radio station. What are we listening to? This is huge. This is important. Oh, I'm so scared that you're going to judge me. I, so my immediate response is Taylor Swift. I am a Swifty. I know. I also listen to cool music, but I, that, but Taylor's uncool. 
<laughs> I was about to say, so you now just put Taylor Swift I know. <laughs> in an I, category. I love Taylor. I love um, Harry Styles. Um, I do, but I also really love, I just, I love a lead. This is not Harry Styles, I guess, but um, I love a female strong vocalist. Like Julian Baker is another, Maggie Rogers. I love like, I, it's, I guess that's the same with my reading preferences. Like I love like yeah. a strong female protagonist. I, I can live with Taylor Swift. I cannot I name you one Taylor Swift song right now, but like as yes, a you person, can. I feel like she's a cool person maybe. I just, Harry I, Styles, I just learned about him because I saw him in a movie. So I didn't know anything about his music. Oh. I just listened to, I guess, this new album he has out that mm -hmm. got album of the year. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, let me listen to it. And it, it's like, cool. I could, I could have it playing in the background when I'm cleaning up or something. I just, I guess my playlist, my radio station ever would be like the like female vocalist. Like you, mm -hmm. I've got Adele, Beyonce, maybe Roger, like okay. all of, I just like love a strong female vocalist. Yeah. Okay. We'll give you a cool point for that. <laughs> Okay, so um, what is your micro talent? This Ooh. is something that is like writing a book is a huge talent, but mm -hmm. like what's your micro talent? Something that is not really Ooh. an important thing, but yeah. Um, okay, well, <laughs> I'm a I like to call myself a time optimist because it is a, um, positively framed way of saying that I'm almost always off time or late like I feel like I can fit really? yeah I can fit like as much as possible in a moment of time like I just I like if I have an hour like I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it'll only take me an hour and I'm gonna fill that whole entire time and then probably another half hour but I consider myself a time optimist huh. okay. so that's my that's my um micro talent I also just learned how well I didn't just I I just started drinking coffee during like pandemic times. And really? so, yeah, I didn't drink coffee until like four years ago. Oh my God. Three, year, three years ago. Um, and so I learned how to make a mean cup of coffee during that time. I like went deep down a rabbit hole of yeah. brewing coffee. This is an important now. thing. Like I prefer my own brewed coffee now to like going to a Starbucks. Before, like I was like, a hundred percent hardcore coffee shop now like if I have to go to a coffee shop I will but I definitely prefer my own brewed coffee oh yeah we I use the filtered water yeah. and I measure the grams and the ratios like yeah. it's a whole science yeah. that... do you like ground your own beans or you yes. guys yeah me too have, I yep. feel like it tastes better when you do that yep like right before you bloom yes with the yes. filtered water yeah yeah. Okay. We're on the same page. All right. Cool point. Do I that. get two cool points? You got two cool, cool <laughs> points right now. Um, if you're on vacation, are you winging it or do you pre-plan your itinerary? Hmm. I do a lot of pre-research. Okay. So I know like neighborhoods I want to go to and options for like coffee shops, restaurants, bars, places to see and experience there but I don't plan to the hour. Um, I think this ties into the time optimism part. I like assume that I'll be able to experience everything within a space mm -hmm. within like the two days that I'm there. 
Um, and I usually get to like a quarter of it, if even. So I give myself options, but they're research options so that I can pretend like I'm a cool fly by the seat of my pants, spontaneous person. But really, I've done all the thinking in advance. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna let we're gonna let you slide in with that one. I know you're not um, surprised. Wait, yeah, we're we're just we're gonna let you you just barely got in on that one. All right. Favorite school supply. Ooh, this is a heavy hitting question. Yeah. This is a make or break question. Like if you don't answer this one correctly, it's like throw it all out the window. I desperately want to know the wrong answer to this question. And I hope it's not mine. Uh, <laughs> um, I think the um, uh, Sharpie anchor chart paper markers are my most important school supply. Wait, are we talking as a teacher or as a student? Because that does make a difference. Okay, let's go as a student. Okay. Yeah. Mm, notebook. Notebook choice. The paper choice is important. Notebook paper or the actual notebook? No, the notebook itself. And okay. are you I'm, talking like trapper keep? Are you a trapper keeper <laughs> person or are you like the old school, just like single notebook? Okay. Yes. Cardboard Although, or like plastic? Mm, now it's plastic. Okay. But it used to be cardboard, although now you're making me think of Lisa Frank, and I was never cool enough, or I shouldn't admit that on a cool points yeah, yeah. game to have Lisa Frank. Um, but yeah, I, I remember the notebook being so important because then you would cover it all with like magazine photos, like clippings, and you would oh, pass okay. it back and forth with your friends yeah. to write notes, yeah. and then, so then you didn't have to fold it up. Okay. We're going to give you points for that. Notebooks are high on the list. If you had said like something closer to the paperclip range, that would have been. Unacceptable. Yeah, very okay. questionable. What's number one? What's the coolest school supply? I feel like number one is the range of pencils. Like mm -hmm. it's pencils, but you know, then there's the electronic pencils. They're the, remember the ones with the little, the little that white you would, stackable lid. Yes. 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 Yeah. So yeah. Um yeah. there's a I, whole pencil category. Subgenre. Yeah. Yeah. My um one of my high school teachers went first day of class told us that the superior, most superior pencil was a Dixon Ticonderoga and had a whole spiel about how it was like writing on air and and I was like I respected his dedication and his passion. Yeah. For that pencil. Yeah. I don't it, know if maybe it was day one classroom syllabus material, but he was serious about it. Yeah. It's a, it's a big thing. All right. And the last question you said you didn't dream, you never dreamed of being a teacher. You never dreamed of being an author. What did you dream of being? Oh, a marine biologist. Really? Yeah. I love dolphins and manatees oh my gosh. and snorkeling and scuba diving. Like there's just this whole world underwater. I did not know this. <laughs> I too have that on my list. Did you? Yes. I have thought about like, oh, I should have been like a marine biologist and like cold water animals. Like 
like I want to be in the water with a killer whale, but I don't want to be in the water with a killer whale. You want to be a killer whale in the water with a killer whale. I want to, yeah, I want to be one with them, but not really. I 100% agree. But then there was like a lot of math and science involved and I realized that wasn't really my strength, so. Yeah, and I also need to have a beluga whale experience at some point in my life, so. I had a recent manatee experience where I was like communing with a manatee for like 15 minutes. My yeah. husband had it's to pull me like away. Arctic water. Like I want to be, I mean, like, you know, you see on the movies, like the guys in the big suits and it's really cold. I need to be one of them. I need to be out there. So yeah. In another life, Chandra will be in another marine, life. marine biologist. You can take the cold water. I'll take the warm water. <laughs> Yeah, I never see myself like in a tropical setting. It's always like snow, ice. There's a hole carved into the ice and then I'm down there. Can we loop back to why Milwaukee's a problem for you? The beluga whales. I, I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. So we're going to give you five cool points. Um, to survive. Close. Close. You did not. <laughs> You did not um, break the glass ceiling of the first as the first to not get the cool points. And the last question is one that I ask every guest. Um, the podcast is called "Wouldn't It Be Cool If," because we're having cool people who are doing cool things come on and talk about their ventures and kind of their journey and lessons learned. Um, but I always ask people to complete the question, wouldn't it be cool if what? Like, what's your, what's your cool? What do you think? What's, what's your, your impact statement? Like, what would you like to see in the world or in your world? It's such a great prompt. Um, and I, it's funny because it's a perfect segue or transition from our last conversation. I think For me, I think, wouldn't it be cool if everyone got to tell their own story and live their own authentic truth, whatever path that may be, and both know and believe that their their own worth, but also be believed by others, right? Mm -hmm. And by society at large. So whether it was on a big platform and setting like this podcast or writing a book, um, or if it's listening to strangers and community members Um, in your neighborhoods, your um, schools, places of faith, and really hearing and believing their truth, um, or if it's a partner or friend, and even internally and individually, sometimes recognizing and trusting our own truths are the hardest and knowing our own story. Um, And that's one of the biggest lessons of Gust actually is that who we are and what we can do are enough. Gust can't be a train and he can't be a crane, but he can be a wind turbine. Um, And that is enough. So I think what if we really knew ourselves and listened to and believed others, even in conflict um, or, you know, different ideas, if we were all able to tell our own story and listen to other stories and listen to understand instead of speaking our piece or telling our, you know, like, um, I just think that would be a really beautiful world. Yeah, I love that. I would drop the mic, but Kravitz is in my arms, so I can't <laughs> can my drop that way. Um, yeah, I love that telling our own story and like just recognizing that everyone has a story. Like mm-hmm. everyone has value. I love. I always on the um the YouTube 
video of our chat, I always like pop golden nuggets down at the bottom. And I think like one of the big takeaways from this conversation is like, we all have a story and we all have a role. Like we all mm -hmm. can play part in, in our communities and, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately the world, we just have to kind of find our thing and mm -hmm. our purpose and live it out. So yeah, that's huge. And golden nugget that I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> Who does? Who knows anything? That's, True. that's yeah. That's the major golden nugget. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to share? Okay, no, he's, he's he doesn't have anything he wants to add. Thank you so much, Katie, for being on. Wouldn't it be cool if? Thank you for inviting me. This is so fun to talk with you and to your listeners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to our listeners, when you have a chance to travel, come up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so you can see Gust. Mm -hmm. buy the book tell us where we can get the book yes so um you can follow along um with me and um with Gus follow on our journey on Instagram um at Katie Meyer writes and all of the links are in there to buy the book um I have a website coming soon I'm building it um but it will be www.gustthebook and that's gust g-u-s-t like a gust of wind I could, if I could wink, I would wink, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> another surprise. Um, so WWE Wait, time out. You really can't wink. I really can't wink. Eddie, why? I don't know. I never learned. Is that kind of, I twisted my head so you couldn't see that my other eye was closing. Oh my gosh. We have to work on this. Yeah. I know. That's your homework. A teachable skill. I don't know how to do it. Oh man. <laughs> I'm glad we found this out after you got the cool points and not before, because it's that so whole helpful. outcome would have been different. As a child, it was, it was traumatizing. As a child, I, I had to like all those games that you play in a circle, they had to give me a modification. So instead of winking, I was allowed to double blink. So it was like, to, <laughs> it's all so embarrassing. Okay, okay. Take this part out. We're not going um, to talk about it. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, so, my yeah. website is coming soon. Yes. www.gustthebook.com. Um, the book comes out March 21st, the Tuesday. The best place to buy Gust is um, directly from my publisher by going to orangehatpublishing.com. And you can find Gust in their like online store items. Right now it's under pre-orders until after March 21st. Um, but the best place to order it in general is always going to be from my publisher. Um, but I did just get word that um, Gust is now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well, okay. which is really cool just for um, reach, like mm -hmm. awareness and also helping and establishing authenticity and interest. Um, so if your listeners want to add it to their cart or follow me as an author or put it on a wish list, um, those are all great. But ordering it from Orange Hat Publishing directly is the best way okay. to get yourself a copy. And I'll pop all the links in mm -hmm. the video down below. And what else is coming up for you? Anything cool coming up on your plate? Well, the biggest thing is uh, March 21st, book release date. And then I hope to celebrate Earth Day in Wisconsin. That's um, end of April. 
Oh, that's going to be so cool. Mm-hmm. So hopefully Gus and I will be out there celebrating Earth Day. Um, I will be in some classrooms doing read-alouds. Um, I hope to find my way to some bookstores or libraries for events as well. Uh-huh. Um, and then hopefully people really like Gus. I'm just really excited to hear everyone's reactions and how they respond to the story, what connections they make, and maybe they'll like it enough for me to write a sequel. Yes, we, we <laughs> need a sequel. We need to know about all the people, all the the beings in yes, Gus. Yes, the vehicles. That, yes, yeah. we, need, we need the whole Gus series. And then we need the Gus... Um, TV show on PBS Kids and the t-shirts and the lunch boxes and the toys. I'm with you. I have sequel ideas. He's got, and he's such a cute character. So it's a whole community. It is. (laughs) I'm excited. I want to see, I'm excited to see how this grows. So thank you. Yay. Well, thank you for joining us and um, telling us about Gust and your journey and all of the lessons learned along the way and we will be sure to follow you and your characters and figure out ways that we can play our role to the best of our abilities in our communities so thank you thank you for sharing your platform and your enthusiasm for best making time for me and with your listeners yay we love harry and megan (laughs) And Gust. And Gust. <laughs> and, and cereal. Grab it. Oh, Crime. no. Crime. You had to end it there. You had to end it there. And Kravitz. And we love Kravitz. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>